0: Good afternoon everyone, hope you're good. I'm Jack Chew, 12.30 at weekdays we do a show called Chewing It Over in which often with esteemed guests as is today we discuss and chew over all things topical in MSK in healthcare and occasionally in terms of current affairs. Thanks for joining me, a few people tend to join me live which is lovely and hope you can participate but when I've got a guest on I know you're all sometimes beavering away I imagine making notes and concentrating on their their expertise, but don't be shy to get your comments in, especially after the fact. Really enjoying some of the emails and social media posts we get afterwards where you guys are reflecting on what we're what we're thinking, particularly in your commutes, because we're trying to keep it topical. And something that is certainly topical is advanced practice and the framework in which um through Health Education England uh, Neil Langridge and colleagues have produced to try and offer a structure, a roadmap as it's been described to advanced practice and aspiring to that in MSK. Just something that's been. Called for for so many years, and to see that then come to fruition as, as carefully as it's been managed has been absolutely phenomenal. So, I'm pleased to have Neil Langridge on the show today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about how it came about, etc. We'll then talk about what its consequences are, etc., and how it can be refined, no doubt. But generally speaking, I really want to hear from the man himself about how it came about and why it's important for now. So, without further ado, I hope the technology works and I can slide in Neil Langridge. Neil, can you hear us?
1: I can. Fantastic. good afternoon jack
0: good stuff thank you um I, I, one thing i should clarify as well for those that are startled at me not being in sportswear for, for the first time ever is the fact that i'm having a bit of a non-clinical day and so i'm, I'm literally in house just for the show today so uh, for those that are startled at me not being in a football shirt that's why neil just um, for the listeners that, that don't know how it came about i doubt we've any listeners that don't know who you are so we don't need to go full background basics but what what came up how did it come about really the app roadmap and then what is it
1: um so i guess it comes back a little bit to my my initial um times in advanced practice so uh, were then called esp roles i got my first esp role about 20 years ago and like many others it was given to me uh, uh, through a, an interview and i had a job description and i sort of wrote my own competencies and i was signed off locally and that's how i built assurances and quality assurance right through f- through my my practice um when fcp emerged and, and my first fcp clinics were 2014-15 um i had a lot of discussions about what was needed and i spoke with um beverly Harden at the time and amanda hensman crook who's also doing the similar pieces of work but what the system would need um and the system we felt Needed um, some some knowledge about data, which Amanda did a lot of work around. We want we we know, knew we needed some training, um, and we we commissioned and completed some primary care modules. And what we really wanted was uh, assurances of quality um, standards of practice that we could all work towards. Um, and that then um, was was built on uh, a couple of years ago. Amanda commissioned myself and a number of others as part of the team. Um, who who absolutely played a huge part in in developing this, in how can we make um, standards of practice in first contact um, uh, primary care, and what have we got available to us? Well, thankfully, the MSK core capabilities framework had emerged, and we also had the multi-professional advanced clinical practice framework uh, published um, at a similar time. So we had some reference points, but we wanted to make sure that there was, as we, we call it the roadmap, because we wanted to see a career model that individuals could get on early in their career um, as part of a career framework that takes an individual into first contact practice and also advanced practice. So we said, how can we merge these pieces of work? So thankfully, uh, Tim Nobler um, and, and Jodie Smith, and uh, who, who also um, were part of the, the sort of core team, They took these frameworks and as part of a previous piece of work that Tim and and University of Birmingham Manchester have been involved in, they had already mapped the IFOM standards, so Level 7 MSc standards, to the multi-professional standards and shown that there was a, a significant, if not all, overlap. So we had MSK standards already available nationally known and internationally recognized at master's level, level seven in MSK. We also had the MSK core capabilities framework that shows what you need to be a first contact practitioner. So Tim and Jody looked at bringing those two pieces of work together. And what was highlighted was that first contact practitioner, although level seven, it was level seven in clinical practice, didn't meet the other three pillars, being leadership, education, and research. Um, So we had some standards that fitted MSK core capabilities. We had standards that fitted advanced practice. Um, And what Tim and Jody did is pulled those out and separated them, but also showed where there is overlap. So what the roadmap basically was built on is is pieces of research and already accepted, well um, um, built uh, pieces of um, work around national and international frameworks that could be then placed in clinical practice for individuals to work towards. So there are clear capabilities and clear stages that those individuals would need to go through. The three stages are the stage one, which is pre-primary care. These are MSK sign-offs. What we want wanted for primary care was for primary care to know when a physiotherapist or, an, or or health professional goes into primary care, they have the MSK skills at level seven before they get there. So that we they can be assured of that. So you would need as a clinician to be signed off through stage one, which are level seven, capabilities in musculoskeletal practice. These are also mapped to the iPhone standards. So these are also mapped on an AP pathway as well. Just to you clarify, on yeah. this
0: because I know I've definitely made this mistake before and I see others uh, doing so, um, is that level seven does not necessarily mean agenda for change band seven. People sometimes make that mistake. Um, it's level seven being educational level seven considered to be master's level degree or equivalent within it's not just is um, how internationalized is that term is it is that a uk-centric term level seven or is that something
1: Um, i don't know about uh, overseas certainly here level seven Mm -hmm. being an academic level of masters level level eight being doctoral level um yes it has nothing to do with banding It's it's to do with capability and standards Mm -hmm. um so so those stage one standards are level seven So their MSc level equivalents, however you wanna demonstrate it, you're you're demonstrating MSc level uh, knowledge, skills, and attributes needed to be a first contact practitioner in musculoskeletal healthcare. So those have been identified and clearly uh, demonstrated within the framework. You can have those signed off by an appropriately um, uh, qualified supervisor. You then go into primary care and what we've got available in primary care is access to the um, GP training toolkit which is effectively what the GP trainees use. So this is a range of tools where you can then demonstrate a triangulation of evidence that you have the skills needed in primary care, which are different than you would need necessarily in just MSK physiotherapy practice, (sighs) allows you to demonstrate that um, effectively. And once those have all been signed off, you would have the equivalence of being um, an FCP clinician. And what we've got agreed with the center of advancing practice that there will be an fcp directory when you've demonstrated these skills and you're signed off you'll be placed on the fcp directory within the center of advancing practice right stage three is if you want to continue to be an advanced practitioner in msk primary care and i'll I'll talk about the future in in a wee while um is that you then can go on and complete the leadership, the education, the research requirements of the other three pillars, but still pertaining to advanced practice. You could then go on and complete those in a a method of equivalence, and then you can be placed upon the advanced practice register. So you'd be on both. You'd be an advanced practitioner whilst also being an FCP. Hmm. There are other ways to do it through higher education institutions. So you could do, uh, there are modules that are built that will be built around the roadmap that will take you through stage one and stage two. And they will automatically go onto the the, the FCP directory if you complete that module. Um, <clears throat> you could, of course, already have master's level education or be able to demonstrate master's level education. You wouldn't therefore need to do stage one because stage one is that MSK level seven standard, Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't need to do stage three. You've already proven you have advanced skills. What you still need to do is stage two to demonstrate you have the primary care knowledge and complexity around that very specific area of practice.
0: Yes. And I think that that's where some confusion lies, where people haven't recognized the, the integration of the clinical with the other pillars but also the way that that as a journey and why it is a roadmap and why the language is appropriate is because it is it is multifaceted but it's also something that any given stage the appropriateness of you and your position depends on time frames your, your job role your aspirations your intentions and it's you know the, the thoroughness has, has, has bowled me over really in fact I actually assigned far too little time initially to to read it it was something that was that you know make made sure that it was it was thorough right but not not over complicated what's the um i want to just make sure we we hammer home the pertinence and, and make a link to some of the things that i've and, and we as a, as a community yourself included have talked about where people have sometimes mistaken and understood uh that their understanding of of what governance structures we have for career progression within msk particularly within physiotherapy but also multi-professionally and that have really found it sometimes disrespectful when I and others, and you mentioned it earlier, that sometimes roles are dished out by interview based on the fact that you've got this individual competence assessed by a structure that isn't then has, it doesn't have parity across organizations. And so because of that means that you've got a difficulty to, to suggest how to contain the variation in practice. And so what this is doing is creating something that has more objective standards, but not narrowly objective standards uh, that, that are not worth the paper they're written on. They're uh, tethered to other pieces of work, and including academic work that's then been published and is respected and cross, cross-referenced. cross That infrastructure is not superseding what currently exists. Nothing did exist. Everything's been... It, it's, it's, I think that's what people have asked me, even. I'm interested in what it's replacing. And it's sort of like, well, no, part of the reason it was so pertinent is because it really has been an empty void. How vulnerable do you feel the industry has been not having even something that this supersedes?
1: Um, that's really well put and you're absolutely on the money. This has concerned me since I got my first ever advanced practice job and it's embarrassed me when I got my consultant post, if I'm really honest. So my first week as a consultant practitioner, which is coming up for about 10 years now, um, I went on a training course with the other newly appointed medical consultants and sat sat there as the only non-medical consultant hearing and talking about your experiences to get to this point was embarrassing. Um, in terms of what the profession uh, or the professions have really offered us in, terms, in, in challenging us to, to, to deliver on this. So advanced practice, extended scope pr- practice came about. and we, we as a profession accepted local governance. And so we got jobs or individuals got jobs on the basis of a 45 minute interview and an application form and went into advanced practice. with. Uh, and so how can that be right? So this was an opportunity to start making a stand about that and say, well, this is an effective passport. So when I interview X, Y and Z for their job, I will want to know where are you on your roadmap? Show me your evidence and what you've had signed off so far. I don't care whether you're in Derby, Stoke, Norfolk, <laughs> doesn't really matter. So yeah. What I'm interested in now is finding out about you as an individual, will you be part of, work well as part of the team? What are your leadership qualities? How do they apply to this? How will you in enhance our education? How will you enhance our patient care as an individual? Because I can be reassured about your levels of clinical acumen uh, rather than having to judge that in an interview asking about red flags which is is, just a standard thing to us. Oh, we must be safe because he's answered three questions on Gorda Aquina really quite well. Uh, Absolutely. It's crazy.
0: On this day when last week they might have struggled. Yeah, it's a funny one. I I don't want to put these words in your mouth because it's definitely an opinion you you may want to dispute, but I think we got away with it for a while, in part because of the the fact that those roles, you had 10 cracking clinicians to each of them. Whereas when the profession was in a situation where, the, you know, we all know that over time that, that whether it's a buyer's market or a seller's market in MSK for, for quality it meant that I think one of the reasons we got away with it is because you had this, even though there wasn't a, uh, it was there was no parity across the system, you were in a situation where typically the bar was set appropriately high based on competition needs from who you were recruiting and whilst, you know, no doubt especially in certain parts of the country, I doubt those standards ever drop but it's more that when those posts need fill in, We've all been interviewers whereby you're in a situation where once they've passed the baseline credibility to be employable, you're not able to drive quality unless you've got the candidates. And so I think that one of the things that meant that this I won't say got delayed for the sake of it, but it's just one of the things we got away with for a while it was because the market was in a place where it, it mattered less. I don't know what whether you, what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, we, we were in a situation. I mean, going right back, you were, you were, my first jobs were within a secondary care environment with consultants. So the sort of safety element was, was I was housed within that team. But as soon as we went into community practice, um, that got that got taken away. that wasn't there anymore. Yeah. So that really made it clear to me that this was yeah. needed. But I agree that you know, with with, a, with advanced practice, particularly in orthopaedics, um, we were seen as a commissioning tool to save money across a systems pathway. Therefore, bums on seats was really important. And, I, and I've seen that and had to do it myself. We've got your commission with a certain pot of money. We need to manage this group of patients. Well, that's fine, but I've got to get the staff in. Well, you've got to get them in and therefore you've got to make sure they're safe and competent. So I've got to put them through with our, our own safety competency sign off. However, how do I know that's at the right level. I'm making that judgment myself. No one's challenging me on that. Um, how am I benchmarking it against others? Well, I can't or I don't. It, it's, just, it's done through sort of discussions and and, and and corridor conversations with your colleagues. But at the end of the day, there was no set standard. And if, you, if you're marking somebody or assessing somebody, you need a standard. When we audit, there is a standard to audit against. Well, it must be the same for clinical practice. How do we know anything um, if we don't have a standard to work with?
0: Mm, Absolutely. Now we've had some lovely comments coming in here from Kath Piper, for example, the clearest description I've heard to date. Thank you, Neil. I think the messaging through this is super important and anything we can do to, to help with that is important too. So thank you, Neil, for bringing that forward. Katie said that the roadmap is excellent Neil's explanation of the levels of competency has helped make it clearer ESP was hugely supported as working alongside consultants and changed within primary care um so yeah thank you for comments coming in I I doubt we'll be able to get to all of them I notice I've only got 12 minutes with Neil and I've got a few things I definitely want to get out one of them being I want to talk a little bit about it's because it's all well and good as as creating an app for me um the guy who who spent probably more last year than I should have done in retrospect, building a manifesto to try and create some foundations is that I I'm someone that feels that going to first principles is is incredibly important. So I'm absolutely not playing that down. However, we all know that the how do we inspire people to comply with it, that then create something that isn't just a moment in time of which we miss an opportunity. You know, how do we do that now? I know you've given a hell of a lot of thought to that. And in in conversation with you uh, and uh, as you consult with many others, you, that was where you were spending a lot of time thinking about how it cannot not be um, something that is in theory when in practice it feels distant. What do you think are the key variables that make this a document that people should and can aspire cleanly to, to do?
1: So I think it needs to be a, a first integration within our undergraduate programs, thinking about where they need to be able to see the career trajectory, um, which they haven't been able to see. We've got these posts, advanced practice, CSP posts, as they were described, and consultant posts, but how do I get there? So the first thing to do is make sure there are clear there's clear pathways and there are clear reference points to competency. So you have a clear reference points of getting your 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 registration and your qualification. There there needs to be, now there's a clear reference points in working first contact practice. There'll be clear reference points in advanced practice and there will be a consultant framework and there'll be a clear reference point there. And this will be across other areas of practice. We've got uh, uh, frameworks uh, in mental health and community practice, which I've been able to uh, be involved in that will do exactly the same. So we'll have these reference points to support career pathways, but it must start at undergraduate. The next thing that must happen is that the quality of supervision um, needs to be at a high standard and that will drip drip feed culturally um, um, throughout the professions as long as the quality starts high. The better supervision you get, the better you're likely to offer it. So there will be a generational thing around some of this because if you think back, I mean, certainly for me, CPD, reflective practice, portfolio building a lot of it's lip service, because it was just signing bits of paper that you put in a blue folder somewhere. This now needs to have meaning to it. You need to be able to apply meaning um, and and critically evaluate it and make it purposeful. And the, the more you make it purposeful, the more that will generate your ability to critically evaluate. And that just then takes the profession into that next phase. We'd be building clinicians that actually have that as a natural element to their character, their clinical character, as compared to, oh, I'm going to put upon me, I hear messages of, oh, this is going to be really challenging. And my answer is, great, so it should be. If it wasn't, what would be the point? And it if you are the water
0: at... water in which watering with you for so long, isn't it? And I think that that's what's fascinating, is that having studied it as carefully as we all did last year, yourself included, we all came to realise that Generally, it's sort of we've not realised just how complacent we've become in how ungoverned we are in a, in a, other than for baseline malpractice. And so that's a cultural shift that's going to take some time. And it it needs to make us feel uncomfortable. And we need to all feel like bloody hell could have done without this. It, it needs to us. We need to be putting, being put to accountability frameworks in such a way that should feel disruptive because it is disruptive. But it's a mm-hmm. necessary disruption because it's not sort of superseding a a model that's fit for purpose.
1: And if you are uh, describing yourself for advanced or level seven, then you should see this as a challenge, but it should be a challenge you should be able to rise to because it should be part of your natural practice. And if it's not, then perhaps you shouldn't be there. Would be, you know, <laughs> well, would be my answer. You know, I I'd mean, be, it's a difficult, it's a difficult be, thing to I'd deal with, sure. but it's true.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's like that, that's the thing is that we, we're not realizing the language we're using. In a professional medical healthcare context, using the term advanced, what, as a, as a lapel that you've bought, is that is that so who on whose terms according to who is that advanced like that guy that wears that same badge across the road? It amazes me, for example, that the the way in which we've we've used language and and uh, in that way, so uh, absolutely necessary. I want to ask, what do you feel are the firstly the um, mistaken how to put it? What criticisms has this document faced in its? in its conception and its, its since it's come out, that you feel are a mischaracterization. so the unfair criticisms rather than the fair ones so far?
1: Well, firstly, what I would say is that we want to put it into the system and it will need to be reviewed. We'll want to get the feedback. I'm not suggesting that this is absolutely fit for purpose. Perfect. Never need never be to be touched again. That's completely wrong. I would want to see this reviewed with, with feedback. However, some of the feedback so far, yeah, it looks complex. How are we going to be able to do it? And I really want to be able to help individuals and we will get messages out there. How I would describe you get less for more. Looking at one clinical experience in multiple different ways, you don't need loads and loads and piles and piles of work for this. What you need is good quality critical reflection, critical analysis, reflective practice, ability to self-direct around some of the clinical questions. Um, The other challenge is is how how will this affect our, our banding or how this will affect pay? It's irrelevant. This is nothing to do with workforce. This is nothing to do with pay or your banding. This is to do with governance and quality assurance and standards of practice. What then plays out from that, in my opinion, is if you have a standard, if you want to go and argue that you should be paid something, have a standard that is is proven to support it. If you go into that meeting with "I should be paid at seven because I'm an advanced practitioner because I've got a new badge," how did you get that job? I was given an I had an interview, forty-five minutes from my supervisor, who was my previous boss, um, and I've and, I, and he signed me off on these competencies. Who made the competencies? He did. Okay, that isn't going to get us very far in this discussion that you want an increased pay band. However, if I go and say, oh, "My team," is working to national and international standards in musculoskeletal practice, which is equivalent across a multi-professional network. We've proven that, and this is my team, and I can show you they can do it. Okay, that's a di- for me, that's a different conversation. And that, for me, is being missed. There's too much worry about this is about, ba- oh, what will this do to our banding, rather than, actually, this is about reinforcing our place in MSK practice, not about undermining it. It's completely around the wrong way.
0: But I suppose, again, because of the... I mean, I don't make many excuses for people that instincts are in that way because I feel that, unfortunately, I don't like to try and mind-read, but generally speaking, that's folk that have got something to hide. You know, it's, it's, I can't help but instinctively notice that the people that are spooked immediately on a workforce front especially as clinicians rather than it being their job to think in that direction i can't help but just feel that that is something that they're they're scared of what it unveils essentially is that the the way in which the the sort of um, arbitrary ungoverned standards that we're talking about has meant that there has been complacency that set in that relied heavily upon that market force of of, of buying and selling that i described before now that that doesn't exist and we don't have parity of standards the idea and argument that actually everyone that's registered as a physiotherapist namely maybe a chartered physiotherapist is is of is of gold standard as it stands is a is a, is a, a a talking point that is of huge value in many spaces and so in this instance this this now that we've not got arbitrary standards but credible ones it must be people that feel like actually I'm not going to a certain amount aren't going to meet that bar, and it's something that aspiring to it is 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 not going to be enough. That's where I can't help but but, but feel it. But equally, I, I, I'm not trying to put those words in your mouth. My opinion as an independent, you know, is something that I can I can say it on. Um, I wonder if you feel free to come back on that, but I also want to ask as to what you feel are the where do you feel it's weakest? What do you feel is the most the the the, the more the legit side, the people that have otherwise thoughtfully analyzed it accurately but still feel it's got some gaps?
1: Um, Some of it may be around um, some of the interpretation of the language um, and I think that may need some refining over time. There is a lot of crossover uh, but we have referenced that. When you look at the document um, there are clear references to when one capability maps across say iPhone standards being level seven across all four pillars and the musculoskeletal core capabilities framework. Um, and that happens a lot um, where There's a lot of crossovers in similar elements of practice. And I think the big criticism which we, I, we absolutely need to address is we need a gold standard examples or, you know, one or, or a number, right? Because quite understandably folk are going to look at this and say, well, I, I don't know quite know what this looks like. So I think it, it, there is there is some work to be done around we've got this to help people apply in practice let's get some really high quality examples of what a level seven portfolio looks like in all its glory because once you've got some examples then people can draw from that and learn from it and, I, and, and so I, I do accept that as a criticism. So this is all very well, but what does that actually look like? And when I present on it, I will give a clinical examples and we'll we, we get an opportunity to talk about those and some other webinars at a later date. But clearly there's a piece of work to add on to that to really help people sure. take it to the next level.
0: One of the things that I've come to notice is that um, because of the necessary academic overlay and, and and overlays probably the academic foundations of some of the work that was done, means that you have got some very highly competent, credible, time-served educators that don't qualify within this framework to then supervise others um, because of the nature of them needing to have a level seven qualification at master's level. That's one of the criticisms I've seen, whereby you've got people whose who's mentors aren't allowed to mentor. Um, and so you've got this weird leapfrog effect purely because of a certificate on
1: people's walls.
0: I can kind of understand pragmatically why that might have been difficult to avoid, but do you see any route forward for that, for those individuals?
1: Yeah, so at the end of the day, with Health Education England, they will have an advanced practice register, and there are a number of different ways that an individual can get to that point. They can do a master's degree that's accredited by the the the, uh, the, the Centre of Advancing Practice, and that will place them on that register. They could go through uh, an equivalence route and, build, and use all that experience, build a portfolio, and be an advanced practitioner that way. So those individuals will have demonstrated they have an advanced practice level of equivalence at level seven, but don't have a certificate of proof, which is absolutely fine. Levels of portfolio equivalence, I actively encourage, and I really see that as being the valuable approach for many folk, particularly that have been long in practice that don't want to go and do a master's degree to be able to get onto that register and therefore supervise. But if we didn't place that bar there for supervision and say, look, we've got to find some sort of level to say, Yes, you are at the right level to supervise people. If we want to pull out critical inquiry, put out, pull out the ability to synthesise evidence rather than just observe, then we need to have the people to ask them the right questions. The only way that we know someone can ask the right questions is if they've, they've shown through evidence that they have the to others that they can do it. And so we had to set a standard.
0: Yeah I mean, again I, I practically I so understand it i think that just out of interest and certainly for us observing as well as then trying to work out as this plays out the understandable need to lean on the legacy qualifications that carry underneath a lot of people of which it's so de- it seems so dependent on the individual because you you know that that's one of the things that i think could wobble the foundations of it, but it's so strong otherwise that I doubt it's going to be uh, anything other than a, a small, a small, uh, a small issue, and one that, as long as it can be mitigated and known, then the standards themselves and what uh, the, the the cross-checking that can occur should be able to tidy that up. and And if there are any sort of rotten apples in there that 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 uh, we need to we need to recognise, then I think the cultural piece that we started with. And the fact that this becomes new water in which we swim, I think that's sort of the thing that excites me. I do see that as being a a real uniform raising the standards and there being fewer places for people to hide and also much more clear reward for those that really do put themselves through a a challenging time, a very challenging process at a time that's so interesting and exciting for MSK Mm. practitioners. So thank you so much for your time. We are over time. I've just noticed a few great comments coming in and we will we will uh, endeavor to. To, it definitely won't be the last time we on this show talk about this and I, I dare say I'll try and rope Neil in at certain intervals maybe as long as he's not had too bad an experience today and we're both getting a bit of not screen right. fatigue when we're talking about this <laughs> earlier uh, but yeah thank you for the lovely comments uh, there is a quick question coming from Chris, Chris, Chris Marty that I'd love to just throw to you if you don't mind is how do you see pre-registration master's programs fitting into that?
1: Well, the pre-reg masters have uh, shown level seven in their ability to to evaluate research. Um, they're only level, uh, they're not level seven at uh, clinical practice because they come out as novices, even though their critical inquiry and their research knowledge. Uh, but of course, their leadership won't be fully in there. Uh, they may have some leadership principles be applying, uh, that apply to that. Um, so I think it gives... Um, the, the sort of educational and the research element towards those pillars, good evidence for them to move forward. But of course, they're still novices because they haven't had those clinical ex- those experiences yet and they would need to still build on that, but they would be able to still fulfill quite a few um, elements of the, 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 the framework quite simply. Nice one. That's brilliant.
0: Utterly delicious questions coming in. So, we, and we definitely can't do them all now. I, I know I need to, to to let you go, but just uh, we will uh, we will visit some of these in future shows. Um, I, I mean, Paula, for example, bringing up the po- concept of the Royal College of Physiotherapy for me, Royal College of MSK makes more sense, and there's a few routes to that. Uh, there's also some points with regards to, um, for example, um, Marie Claire Wardley on LinkedIn has said uh, MC, that, yeah. PCNs and GPs don't understand this and not cited on the roadmap. I imagine we're working on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, That's a yes. Yeah. working
1: process, working progress,
0: yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, we're over time, but thanks so much, Neil. Really appreciate it as ever. And uh, and we'll we'll speak again, no doubt, about this on, on, on various different formats.
1: Thanks, Jack. Appreciate your nice
0: time. Take care.